Well, good morning. Uh, as Andrew said, my name is Adam Young. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you to Valley Life and I also want to welcome you to our series as we have been taking a journey through the letters of John. And so we're going to continue that this morning. You know, there's a lot of problems in our culture. I think we can agree on that. And I think another thing that a lot of people almost universally agree with in our culture is that the answer to a lot of our problems is love. One of the challenges is that we don't always agree on what love is or how it works, but we can see this just by looking at some of the teachings of our culture's most influential philosophers. Uh, Justin Timberlake asked the question, where is love? Rihanna says, we have found the love. Uh, the Rolling Stones say, Everybody needs somebody to love. Justin, Timber, uh, Justin Bieber uh, says, just love yourself. Uh, we love to talk about love. We love to sing about love. We love to think about love. Now, I know what my kids are thinking right now. They're thinking, how do you know what Justin Timberlake and Rihanna have to say? Uh, I had to look it up, okay? Uh, one reference I didn't have to look up Maybe one of the greatest uh, philosophers uh, of at least the 20th century, the Beatles, said, all you need is love. Uh, now, it sounds good, right? But there's a problem. Appealing to love without defining love, defining what it is and what it does, is problematic, it's disillusioning at best, if not dangerous. Because a lot of things, hurtful, selfish, sometimes evil things have been done in the name of love. In our passage today in 1 John chapter 4, John is going to really give us like a manifesto of love. And we're going to talk about what is love, where it comes from, and what love does. And so if you want to follow along... You can scan the QR code, you can follow along in the Bible app, or you can open up your Bible if you brought one. There's one underneath your seat or the one in front of you. First uh, John is towards the back. If you get to the maps, you went too far. Um, so we're going to be in First John chapter 4, and this is kind of a long passage today. And uh, the reason being, as you've noticed in this series on the letters of John, that John has like a threefold way of teaching or writing in these letters. And uh, the first is he will provide some kind of foundational doctrine or truth. And then he will follow that up with um, how we put that truth into action. And we've kind of labeled that obedient living. And then he will give us some sort of impassioned encouragement about how these ideas, what we should know and what we should do, um, why that should provide encouragement in our lives. And so what we've done at the beginning of this series is we would take one of these pieces, the doctrine or the obedient living or the encouragement, and we would just focus on that one aspect on a Sunday. But as we're getting nearer towards the end of the letter, we're kind of speeding up a little bit. So we're going to hit all three aspects in one passage today. And so we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. And I'm going to start reading in verse 7, and we'll go all the way through verse 21. So just... Hang on. Verse 7. This is what John says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves 
has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, I know that was a long passage, but we're going to break it up into smaller sections. And we're going to just follow the pattern that we've done so far in this series and that John lays out for us. And we'll begin with the foundational doctrine or the foundational truth that John is laying out in this passage. And I think one of the first things that John is doing, one of the first questions he is answering for us is, what is love? I think he says it well in verse 10, the beginning of this passage, towards the beginning of this passage that we just read. In verse 10, he says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, that's a big word. We uh, actually talked about it uh, a handful of weeks ago. Dustin defined it for us, but propitiation means to remove the wrath. And so um, by sending his son, Jesus removed God's wrath on all of us, those of us who believe in his son because of our sin. This is love, that God loved us and sent his son to die for us, to remove the payment and the punishment and the penalty and the wrath because of our rebellion and our sin. So what is love? We talked about this just a few weeks ago too. Love is self-sacrificing. Where does love come from? John's going to lay that out for us, just the verses right before that. Verses 7 through 9, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Where does love come from? 
It comes from God because God is love. Now, we're, we're going to push pause on talking about that second phrase. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. And so John has laid out for us our foundational truth. What is love? It is self-sacrificing. Where does it come from? Love comes from God because God is love. And so then we move on to the second section, obedient living. What does love do? If we know what love is and love comes from God, what do we do about that? How does that foundational truth or doctrine impact our lives today? I don't know if you caught it when we read through the whole passage the first time. I know it was a long passage. It was a lot to digest as we were reading it. But John repeats an idea quite a few times in this passage that I think is pretty obvious, pretty straightforward. This is what we are to do. This is how we live in light of the truth that we have encountered, that love is self-sacrificing and love comes from God. So what do we do? What is our response? Verse 7, to start this whole section, brothers, Beloved, let us love one another. Right in the middle in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then right there at the very end, verse 21, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Here's the point John's trying to make. Loved people love people. Loved people. People love people. We said this a couple of weeks ago, that love is at the heart of the gospel. And so love is at the heart of those who have been transformed by the gospel. When you have been loved as God loves, the natural response is to love others. It doesn't require a special class from a teacher or an instructor of the church to say, well, this is, this is how you love. When you've been loved like God loves us, the natural outflow is love. Some of those things just come natural. Uh, I was just talking with some individuals this morning. Uh, there's a lot of things that are crazy right now. Um, one, the fact that it's already November. Is that not nuts uh, that we're, we are two weeks away from our Thanksgiving potluck that we traditionally do as a church? That's crazy. Uh, another crazy thing is that I'm wearing this corduroy shacket because it's like a million degrees inside here right now. This is a February shirt, not a November shirt. Another crazy thing is my wife and I and our kids, we've lived here almost 18 months Next month will be 18 months. That's uh, just crazy to me. And uh, we love everything about living up here. The culture, the lifestyle, the weather, the activities. Um, everything about it has been such a great move and transition. There is virtually nothing that we miss about living along the front range. There might be one thing, though. And that would be the selection of hole-in-the-wall ethnic food restaurants that we are lacking here. Now, 
The food here I have thoroughly enjoyed, but one of the things that we did love, we lived in Aurora. So if you know much about Aurora or the Front Range, we had a quite the selection of uh, hole-in-the-wall ethnic food places. You go to any strip shopping center, and there's at least one, if not five, ones you've never heard of, and you just pull in and you roll the dice, and it's awesome. Um, and I, I love places like that, and I love telling people about it because I love it so much. And so when I find a new joint, I want to tell people about it. Uh, the other day I was in Denver. I don't even remember why I was in Denver. Uh, it doesn't really matter, but I was in there the other day and uh, just happened upon a Vietnamese restaurant that might be the best one I've ever been to in my life. So I took a picture of my food. Uh, I didn't post it on social media because I don't even have social media, but I did send it to my wife. I showed Mark. Uh, I was like, you, uh, Spivak, I was like, you have to see this picture. It's right by this barbecue joint he loves. I, it just comes natural because I love it. Uh, you don't have to teach me. You don't have to prompt me. You don't have to threaten me. I will tell you about all my favorite hole in the food, I mean, hole, hole in the wall ethnic food restaurants. Because it comes natural. That's what John is saying. Listen, when you've been loved the way God loves, it's a natural outflow that you will love others. It just comes naturally. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that we sometimes don't act unloving towards other people, but those who have been transformed by love, love. Because love is at the heart of the gospel. And so for those who've been transformed by the gospel, love is at the heart of who we are. Loved people love people. And why is this so important? I mean, there's a very long list of why this is important, but let me just illustrate and highlight something that John said in verse 12. No one has ever seen God if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Here's what we can't do. We can't see God, at least not right now. And neither can your neighbors or the people you work with or the people who you will eat Thanksgiving dinner with in just a couple weeks. They can't see God either. But what they can see is they can see God's love on display in your life. Loved people love people because it's one of the greatest ways that we can embody who God is to other people. Because just like we can't see God, they can't see God. But they can see his love being perfected and at work in us. So we've talked about what love is. We've talked about where it comes from. We've talked about what love does. It changes us. Loved people love people. And then John is going to give us some encouragement. Let's just reread verses 15 through 18 again. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. 
By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So here's some logic that John is just going to lay out for us. Number one, that God is love. We've mentioned that already. Here it is again, and then in a minute we're going to talk about it again. God is love. Whoever confesses Jesus abides in God. Therefore, as we abide in him, we become like him there at the end of verse 17. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Those who abide in him start to become like him in this world. Therefore, we are people of love, not fear. What defines our identity and motivates our action is fear. I mean, is love, not fear. So this logic matters. God is love. Those who confess Jesus are in God. Therefore, we're becoming more like him. So our identity is rooted in and our actions are motivated by love. Because as we abide in him and become more like him, we start to reflect him. And God is love. But the logic matters. Because when we get things out of order, problems happen. When our logic doesn't flow, when our, 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 the truth of what we believe doesn't flow from the logic, we have problems. Let me show you two. Twice now we have seen this statement in 1 John chapter 4. In verse 8 and in verse 16. That God is love. There's a problem if we get this out of order. If we flip this around, if we come to say love is God, then we're left to think and believe whatever we want about love. If love is God, then we get to define love however we want, and we can manipulate our version of God to fit into that box. If we get this out of order, then God must approve of whatever understanding or version of love we prefer. But when we keep it in the right order, God defines love for us. We understand love by understanding God and who he is. That's why we say love is self-sacrificing. Because that is what God did in and through his son. If we get this wrong, if we put this in the wrong order, if we try to say that love is God, then we miss out on the full picture of who God is. Love begins to limit God to just one attribute. But if we get it in the right order, then we get to see a full picture of who God is. Because not only is God love, 
But he's also just. He's also righteous. He's also holy. He is also compassionate. He is also all-knowing. And so much more. If we get it in the wrong order, then we limit God to just one attribute. If we put it in the right order, we get a full picture of who God is. He is love. And he is also so much more. And then there's another one. If we get this one in the wrong order, then we become our own savior. If we get this in the wrong order and say that God loves because we first loved, then we become our own savior. That means we took the first action. It means we earned God's attention and his favor and his love, meaning all those things are built upon our own actions. And initially, that sounds like freedom. Initially, it sounds like freedom to be your own savior. But it couldn't be more oppressive slavery. Because if our salvation depends on us, we're in deep, deep trouble. Because deep down, every one of us knows that we're not good enough. We're not good enough to earn our salvation. We are all deeply aware of our own inadequacies. We all know that we would make a terrible savior for anyone else, including ourselves. Because if we're the problem, then we can't be the solution. So if we're the problem, and our salvation depends on us taking the first step, about being our own savior, we're in deep trouble. But, but if we keep this in the right order, if our beliefs flow from the logic in the right order, then it brings freedom and everlasting salvation. Because if he loved first, it means that he took the first step. It means the first action to to love us was taken when we were unworthy of it. When we were unaware of it. When we were unsure of it. When we were unaccepting of it. And when we were incapable of returning it. If he took the first step, then it means our salvation is built upon who God is and his actions, not ours. It takes the weight off. It's not dependent on me. It's not dependent on on perfectly embodying love like he does. It's not dependent on me about being perfectly self-sacrificing like he is. It's not dependent on me and my actions if we get this in the right order. He took the first step, which means love comes from him and originates with him. And he is our great savior. Look at verses 14 and 15. 
And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. God is love. And whoever confesses his son Jesus as Savior, God, who is love, abides in you. That means love comes in and begins to transform you. Because it's not about the actions we take. It's about the action he took to come and to give his life for us. Let's pray. Lord, what a relief it is to know that we do not have to be our own saviors. That our identity, that our eternity is not wrapped up in our ability to, uh, to embody love, in our ability to take the first action or the right actions, but that you and your love abide in us when we simply come to confess you, Jesus, as our Lord and Savior. And when we acknowledge that you took the first step, when we acknowledge that you are love, when we embrace it and open our lives and our hearts to it, I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed for a minute. As we do every week, we provide an opportunity to respond. As we gather together and near the end of our time together, a time to respond to who God is and what he has done. Today we respond that God is love and he has embodied that love in his son who gave his life for us. That love put on display with his death for you, for me. And so as we respond to that today, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And we're going to invite you to the table where we take the elements the cup and the bread that symbolize God's love put on display for you. That broken bread that represents Jesus' broken body on the cross. That cup that represents his blood and the new covenant that we have in his blood, under his blood, that because of his sacrificial death, we can be united with God. He can abide in us and us in him. And so if you're a believer in Jesus today, if you have confessed him as your Lord and Savior, then we invite you to the table to express his great love for you. If you have never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is your moment to do it. Right where you sit right now, 
There's no magical words. You express what's on your heart and you confess him as your Lord and Savior because you can't be your own Savior. But that he came to be your perfect Savior. Will you cry out and confess to him right now? And as we sing and celebrate today, we do so by letting love abide in us and putting it on display. Because it's how we let our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and our family see God as his love is put on display in us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the way that you have taken the first step towards us to do what we could not do. So today, we celebrate you. We celebrate your love. We embrace it, and we put it on display for the world to see. 